This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Jim Kawakami. Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. One of these times I got to not record from the home studio. I know Tanika is always uh, encouraging that, but it hasn't happened in a little while. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it soon. But recording from the home studio with a guest, my very good friend, maybe my dearest friend in sports writing and journalism, and Killian from the San Francisco Chronicle. And is that intimidating that I called you my dearest friend in sports writing? I think you are. But... No, I think uh, we spent an awful lot of time together on the road, in press conferences, waiting for Steph. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's a long, maybe the longest tenure where we've been together through all this, which is good. I am proud of that. I like to be there with Ann Killian. When Ann Killian is there, it's a it's an important time. It's a good time. And I'm just butting you up. I don't know why. Uh, just in the mood for <laughs> this. I don't, know. I don't know why. And I'll just throw out from the beginning, we both are at the Mike Dunleavy Jr. intro press conference yesterday. Uh, kind of, you know, we've been in that room with Bob Myers and Joe Lacob and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, Steve Kerr, certainly. Uh, which, what were your initial sense of who he was, how he's going to fit this job. Is he ready for it? What, the dynamic, what, what were you just thinking about the whole thing? I I thought he was impressive. Um, I was impressed. I thought he was seemed very comfortable. And it's not always comfortable sitting next to Joe Lacup, as we know. Um, <laughs> it wasn't uh, for the guy before him in the, in the yeah, accident. He looked more comfortable than Bob did toward the end there. But um, I thought uh, I thought he was, you know, articulate. He was... It's funny because he was very much the same kind of guy um, that he was as a player, very kind of even keeled and and calm. And that's the same thing that um, Warriors fans used to boo him for. Right. They yeah. thought you wrote was, that. And I thought that's I wish I wrote that. That was a really good point. People thought he was a little soft when he was a player. I mean, a lot of that comes because he was such a high draft pick. But I mean, I think he's the right guy for the job. I'm I'm way happier seeing him there than seeing Kirk Lacob sitting in that seat. Yeah. Um, and I think if you put all of all of Mike's, including his dad's influence, all, his entire resume and background, you know, 15 years as a player and and probably most importantly, five years, you know, working with Bob really closely. I think I think he's ready for it. He knows how the league works. He He's, you know, he downplayed how challenging this period is going to be. I think it's going to be way more challenging, but I think he knows that. And I think... Um, you know, his really uh, kind of calm and even keeled demeanor is going to serve the Warriors well. Yeah. And I think he probably needed to show a little personality, too, which he did. Which he did. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you just don't want you don't want that first presser to be sitting next to Joe Lacob and I'm just going to parrot this guy. Right. Or I'm going to be afraid of this guy. And I was so I was a little surprised by that because I didn't know how Dunleavy was going to look and feel up there. And I'd never really seen him have in exchanges with with Joe Lacob and as we know I mean it can get weird and it can get very big time Joe and 
it wasn't. I, you know, they kind of had a little back and forth there, which I think is valuable. I think I was telling this to Dunleavy. It's like it's valuable just to see that because we don't get to see how they are behind closed doors. Did you right. get a sense of that? Like, you know, he can bat it around with him a little bit. He wasn't afraid to. Sure. He cracked a couple of jokes. He, you know, he answered questions on his own. He didn't always defer to Joe. But like I said, I, I do think he he was he looked comfortable and I don't think you can really fake being super comfortable. So I think that's a good sign. You know, I think he knows fully what he's in for. And he's, you know, got the relationship with Kerr, got the relationship with Kerr. And I don't know the extent of the relationship with Curry or Draymond. I mean, I, you're never going to have Bob Myers' relationship with Draymond. Right. Bob joked about that. But I think from the playing career, you know, from the time with the Warriors, maybe there's a different angle he's got with the players. I mean, he can, they can look at him a little differently. Uh, what, do, what do you remember about his playing time other than it was disappointing? <laughs> he took his jersey off to the crowd, fans like that. Uh, what other things do you remember from that? What I had to say to him yesterday that I didn't see him play very much because those were the days that um, the Warriors were so amazingly irrelevant on the big picture scene that, you know, I would get there the the first day for the first game. Maybe I'd come to training camp, then I'd go to the first game, and then I'd go to the last game. <laughs> pretty much nothing between the first and last game changed. Uh, and Raymond used to you know, send me emails. Could you come to a game? Could you come to another game? But um, so I didn't see a lot in person of Mike. I never felt like I got to know him as a player. But I think, you know, it was just that incredible, irrelevant time. And the fact that he knows that and has that. I mean, Bob Myers, of course, as a fan of the team, knew that. But I think I think uh, Mike, you know, really can appreciate the where this franchise is, the stability that it has. He's, you know, the course that it's on. Um, he's seen his dad do this job in, in a couple of different places. Um, you know, he knows how the NBA works. And I think no one's going to fill Bob's shoes. I mean, Bob was maybe, I don't know how you feel, but I, I think he was like the most unique general manager I've ever dealt with. Yep. He was so, he wore his relationships so openly and, and, his connections were so important. And usually the GM is kind of the gruff guy who has to, you know, make the hard decisions and cut people and doesn't get too close to them. So I think Mike will benefit from taking some of that, but I bet he's, you know, he's going to do it in his, in his own way. Yeah. I mean, the Myers empathy, I think is the thing that I don't think that when you say unique among general managers, you just don't have that where guys like caring about what you're doing and what you're thinking. And I don't think it was just the columnist. I don't think it was just, uh, he just actually what perceived that he felt that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think Dunleavy has some of that, but that, yeah, that might never, might never come. Brian Sabian really cared about the rest, the rest of us. <laughs> Trent Balky was right there. Brian Sabian is my quintessential general manager who was really good at his job. I really liked him, but you know, he was, he was not, um, Warm and fuzzy. <laughs> no, no. Which I kind of like too, right? He's like, you ask a question, you're going to get an answer. And right. the only person he really got along with was Rado. Like, and you can kind of see the, the reason for that. But yeah, it was, not, <laughs> yeah it was not. Uh, we can go off on this. And we will get into some deeper picture stuff here. But got to bring up the A's. It's just a continuing story. I think you and I are pretty well on the same page on this. It, it's just... It's shameless. It has been shameless for several years now. But I got to ask you about the Rob Manfred comments last week when he's asked oh. about the reverse boycott, 27,000. And I wasn't there and you were, but it felt like a great scene. It just felt like 
they could have been angry. And I'm sure there were, you know, there were certainly elements of angry and some bad words said about Rob Manfred and John Fisher. But it was generally a celebration. Like this, this is a community. And he's asked about it afterwards, after the A's get the, you know, the public vote to to move to Las Vegas. We'll still see if it happens. And he's just sneering about it. Oh, it's an average crowd. That's real. I mean, that's good to see. How did that strike you? And where does Manfred like sit in, you know, in the history books when this move is talked about? What's he going to be described like? Well, I don't think he's going to be described very well anywhere in the Bay Area. But you use the word shameless. I would say shameful. I mean, the the way he behaved last week, first, he just flat out lied to the reporters there saying that Oakland had no plan at all when he knows very well that they were in like almost daily negotiations on the Howard Terminal thing, that all this financing had been already cleared there. All these hurdles had been cleared. I always thought it was a ridiculous deal because it's such a monstrosity, but that doesn't mean it wasn't going ahead. And for him to just boldface lie and say Oakland didn't have a plan, I mean, that's pretty shameful. And then to dismiss what was a really powerful fan driven moment. And, you know, it just to me, it just is more evidence that this man doesn't care about fans. He cares about the guys who pay him, the guys who he answers to, which are the owners. And a lot of them, unfortunately, don't seem to care about fans. One owner in particular, whose name is John Fisher, doesn't seem to care about fans. But to to, you know, to dismiss this crowd that brought all this energy, created this moment, and then, and also at the same time, be lauding the fact that the A's are going to move to Las Vegas, the 40th largest market or smallest market, and they're going to have a stadium that's about the same size as the crowd that we saw at the Coliseum on on last Tuesday night. It's just, it. I mean, he's such a hypocrite. He's so disingenuous. It's just really hard to listen to. I mean, I was actually, as I was writing my column right after he said that, I was like, I was so angry. It was it was almost nauseating. You know, it's just we've we've been watching this thing play out for a long time. And sure, are other people at fault? Is Oakland at fault? Did the fans stay away? Sure. But we know who's truly at fault. And it's it's John Fisher. And it's just to see them get rewarded for by design, not being competitive, by design, tearing down their team. It's just, it's it's pretty hard to stomach. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see if they get across that line. It's John Fisher, well, yeah. John right, he's going to raise a billion dollars now. Yeah. That's his yeah. end of the ballpark. And yeah. I don't know, I can't imagine that. And figure out how to get the retractable roof, retractable roof and if they can't, what are they going to do? Where are they going to play in the meantime? I still think this is very, very likely to happen, but let's see. And I'll just say, you know, and I understand why fans say, well, why doesn't Rob Manfred just take away the team from John Fisher? Why doesn't he just force him to do X, Y, Z and stay in Oakland? It's like, no, he's an employee of John Fisher. And I, I don't know that that really came across to people until maybe it was getting across to people. But that moment was he's a he's a flack. It's what he is. He's a, yeah. he's just a guy in a suit who's being told what to do by John Fisher. I mean, it, it is hard. It's not, nothing beyond that. They all are. All the commissioners are. But yep. some of them mask it a little better. Yep. But this guy, don't forget, you know, he called the World Series trophy a hunk of metal. I think it was the World Series trophy. I mean, yes, he's, he's just he doesn't seem to actually like the game that his he's the custodian custodian of. He doesn't really seem to like the fans that bring the money to his owners. It's just, it's strange. And, and, you know, the Oakland thing, 
it's really, we've like, it's been this, you know, slow moving avalanche going downhill. We've been kind of seeing it coming, but you didn't know if it was really going to pick up speed. And the fact that just the way this all went down, including the Nevada lawmakers rubber stamping it after only having that plan for about six weeks. I mean, just the, the whole thing is very shameful. It's who they are, it's who John Fisher is. Uh, and I think it's, it feels different than the Raiders move, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. at least it did to me just because I, I just don't think Mark Davis could have got it done in Oakland. Like he wanted to do it at the Coliseum. He really did. Well, and as he, he did, made very and, clear, made it clear that he sat there and wouldn't uh, let him do it. I'll tell you, Mark Davis is not very happy about that. He's going to be a neighbor of John Fisher now because yep. he does not like that man, that organization. He blames Fisher for squatting. You know, the A's were the primary tenant for squatting on the rights at the Coliseum and making it impossible for them to get anything done. And also, you know, the the Vegas thing played out for a really long time. They the Raiders had offices there before there was a shovel in the ground. They they really you know, it was they got more financing, but they but they took a really long time to do it. So you could kind of see it coming. It did feel inevitable. This was, you know, parallel paths and then meeting with Howard Terminal one day and then boom, uh, binding agreement. Oh, not never mind. Not really a binding agreement, but it just it it does feel very different. And and to hear those lawmakers stand up there and say, look how great Allegiant Stadium has been for us. Like, you know, they just sounded so naive to think that a ballpark is anywhere close to what a football stadium is in terms of the events you can hold and and the the impact it'll have. So yeah, baseball's yeah. so different from football. I, I give Mark Davis credit for going off on John Fisher, the Las Vegas Review Journal. I called him, he doesn't return my calls anymore, but I left a message to say those that was pretty good, Mark. Like he's in the new city and he's saying, I don't want these guys in here because they screwed it up in the last city where I would have preferred to be. And I'll give Mark credit for that. He wanted to be in the Coliseum like that. He didn't want to be in Levi Stadium. We know that. He wanted right. to be in L.A., but he also like loved the Coliseum site. He loved it. That's where okay. he went when he was a kid, right? That's where he knows. And he wanted to be there, and it just couldn't happen for a lot of different reasons. So I give him credit. I give him credit for going off on John Fisher. The best quotes of all, who knew this, were going to come from Mark Davis. Right. And, and the other thing about the whole Vegas situation is, as I found out by going there a couple times, um, the the most favored team is the Golden Knights. Oh yeah, they were the first ones there. They're beloved. Their owner paid, I think it was what a five hundred million dollar relocation fee. Uh, they play in a privately uh, constructed stadium uh, arena, and and then and then Mark, you know, and people aren't people like the Raiders, but they like that. They bring in, you know, 40,000 fans and the NFL and the Super Bowl and all of that. Um, I think they really want an NBA team. And usually when a team is coming into a new market, there's a honeymoon period. But this drawn out four year, where are they going to play? What are they going to look like? Is the guy who's supposed to put a billion dollars into building the stadium going to put any money into his team and make it competitive? That whole saga is remains to be seen how it's going to play out. I think the honeymoon may be over before it even begins. <laughs> yeah, was it, did it ever start except for <laughs> in the Nevada legislature and the governor's office? Yeah, with the little shotgun wedding there. <laughs> in Nevada, yes. Uh, all right, let's look at the Giants. Um, certainly something happening there, Annie. It's um, happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do you think that – I was actually thinking in my head, like, is this – 
I mean, people have, I've compared it to 2010 a little bit. I don't, it's hard, you know, no Buster Posey. There's no Bumgarner and Timmy and all that stuff. But like, is this the start, more of a start of something than even two years ago was when they won 107 games? It just feels oh, like yeah, much more of a, like, this is going to last a while, whatever it is, whatever. It feels like it. It feels like, and, and you know how I've been pretty down on them. Um, I, you know, I don't, I, I'm, don't like the heavy, heavy, heavy analytics emphasis. I don't like the roster churn. I don't like the starting pitcher being out before you can even, you know, sit in your seat. Um, but I will say this feels really different and it feels exciting because it's the young players. And, you know, we didn't know, you never know what the farm system is going to uh, bring. And and we had heard optimistic things last year and none of it materialized and they kind of went backwards it seemed like. And so to have this, this whole group of young players who are, who look ready and look confident and, and, you know, have this kind of energy it's, it's just, I wasn't expecting it. And to have the kind of run that they're on right now, I I was watching last night and um, uh, Monday night against the Padres and they, you know, that was such a fun come from behind win and the the place was packed and Kruko and Kuiper were kind of in there in their, uh, <clears throat> you know, kind of felt like old times. It yep. really did. It felt like something kind of special was starting to happen and they've become, you know, must see uh, baseball. I, I didn't see a lot of them last year. I went to them. <laughs> and I went to- <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And you live next door. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. Believe me, they let me hear about it when, when, when I did not show so, up. You know, I, I went um, I went a couple of weeks ago when um, uh, Baltimore was in town I, and I'm going to go I'm going to go to a day game this week. I'm going to go probably a couple times. And it's just especially this is fun to see with them just sweeping the Dodgers. Now they're playing the Padres and then they're playing the super surprising Diamondbacks who, you know, really have built with young talent and that could be a fun series. So it's, it's fun to see. Um, it's fun to see. And, and, you know, I like, I like them building this way best, you know, yeah. it's just like we've seen with the Warriors, like we saw with the 2010 giants that lasted a long time. Homegrown talent is more fun than signing a big name free agency. The The problem is they, the way the whole season started, they had overpromised. They had all but promised that they were going to sign some big name, and and they for you know various well, reasons they did. Yeah, they got one of them, and then, yeah, then they couldn't they deliver. And so it just felt like, um, you know, it it felt like it was going to be more of the same of just kind of piecing together this you know roster that would be, you know, never the same lineup. You'd never know what really what you got but now you're getting guys who are just you know forcing them their way into the lineup every day and i I gotta say that the catcher is really fun to watch i did not because don't i mean you know when the season started that there were so many questions about catching and uh and he's really patrick bailey has really been um a revelation yeah so it's fun it's fun and it's uh I would imagine that it's going, they're going to draw, um, you know, it's a perfect time for them to be hitting their stride with school out and, and people talking about them. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good summer and that's, you know, that's all you want. Last year, they, they started out at drawing pretty well because, you know, they had the carryover from the 107 win season, but it faded pretty quickly because that team just, you know, was clearly going nowhere. 
Um, I think it's going to be different. It's going to be the reverse this year where it's going to start to build with excitement if, if this kind of run keeps up. They can buy Patrick Bailey's jersey. I always hear that, and I am somewhat empathetic to that. I don't quite believe in all that, but you do want to know if somebody's going to be there for five years, right? You you, you want it, and they did not have that for a couple of years. I get it. You know, they wanted it. They didn't have it. Patrick Bailey is going to be there for, for, for quite some time. And they right. got some other guys who are going to be there. I don't know if Casey Schmidt's going to be a main guy, but he's going to be on the team. I think, you know, Matos is going to be on the team. And like, this is very important stuff. And it's what they have with Lincecum, with Buster, with Bumgarner, with Kane. Like, these are important things for fans to identify with. And yeah, you just ask you know. the A's fans, right? Yeah, they would God, like to, yeah. yeah. They would like to have been able to buy a jersey for uh for someone that was going to be around for a while. You can buy somebody else's team's jersey. Uh we've both been through a lot of years with this and seen teams rise and fall in the Bay Area and seen interest rise and fall. I've just felt, and maybe it's just because of my experience moving to the athletic, and we, you know, we really, really focus on three or four teams. I remember, day, you know, I used to cover Cal football. I used to cover the Sharks, you know, at times, not a lot. I used to do, I went to the Final Four, Women's Final Four in Denver. Remember that, Annie? Uh, with Stanford. Yeah. I, it's just, I'd see, but it feels like such a telescoping of, I, I know other sports are important and must be covered and should be covered and have interest. But do you feel that same way? Same way? It's like Warriors, the Warriors got so huge. So there's so much interest there. Do you think that, that there's a cost there? Like, do you see some other sports really kind of suffering because of the huge amount of interest in basically the Warriors and the 49ers in the Bay Area? I mean, those are the two by far, I think, heaviest followed and how has that kind of changed the way we do our jobs or have to do our jobs? Yeah, I think, I think um, there's definitely teams that dominate the scene and, and take a lot of the focus of the attention and at that. And at the same time, you know, sports staffs tend to be smaller. Um, we are, uh, we can measure what our readers are interested in, in a way that we were not able to measure before. And, um, so, you know, it it the decision makers really focus uh, want want us as sports staffs to focus our efforts much more specifically on the teams that that drive the interest. And sometimes, you know, I find that problematic because you end up um, kind of ignoring teams until there's a big news story, right? Because something's going to happen and there's going to be a, either a scandal or a controversy or, or something that a you need firing, to firing. Yeah. Firing. Yeah. And you, and then you don't have the kind of sources or the kind of um, connections that you need to have to cover that news really well. So I think it's a problem. I think, you know, we have Cal and Stanford here and those are two extremely interesting, complex, uh, different sports athletic departments um, with a lot going on. You know, I cover a lot of Olympics. They both churn out tons of Olympians. They, they have different financial issues. There's a lot. I, I would love to dive in a little bit more. Luckily we have a couple of people on our staff who are doing that, but um, you know, it is, it, 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 I know it's frustrating. You know, if I, I have a family of Cal bears and they, uh, would like more coverage of their team. Um, I, I think it it's uh, I think it's a, a both a function of the way the sports scene overall has evolved and the way sports media has evolved that 
you just see this emphasis on things that um, where, you know, we used to have much bigger staff. So you could, uh, even when, you know, the A's and Giants were in the World Series playing each other, you'd still have people at um, the college football games and and everything else that was going on. And, and, you know, obviously 49er games and Raider games and blah, blah, but we just, we don't have as many resources right now to, to, to cover everything. Um, And, and when you add in the fact that you can see if I write about Steph Curry, people want to read it. If I write about the sharks, people don't want to read it. So (laughs) the numbers are the numbers uh, and the war. I think the Warriors have changed the dynamic in the Bay area. It just, it just changed. Like there's, there was a there was a team that, as you said, many people didn't focus on or didn't cover a few times, and now they're every day. They're every day. It's this is late June, you know, whatever, and it's it's Warriors, and right. I think that changed a lot of the things. It changed, you know, help help well start the Athletic Bay Area. I'll tell you that, uh, knowing that those numbers were there, and and knowing that me, Marcus, and Slater could do it. Um, there's, you know. And, and it's changed in a lot of other ways, too. Right. And and the Warriors, I mean, let's be honest, for most of uh, the past decade, they've been a year round story because they don't get done until late June. You know, I mean, they've they've gone the distance so many times and it's just an all consuming thing. Um, and then you take a breath, you know, and then you have, you know, stuff like the Kevin Durant, um, you know, contract issues in during the summer and uh, everything. And then all of a sudden, oh, guess what? it's time for training camp. I mean, it's, it's really, and, and that's the, you know, the NFL is the same way. I used to be the 49er beat writer for a couple of years. And, you know, I, did I work super hard in the off season? Not really. You covered the draft and, you know, there was going to be a mini camp like we used to call them. And then you'd have a lot of time off before a training camp open. Now the NFL is pretty much the same way too, that it's, it's kind of a year round business. So yeah, I I uh, I think just the way sports have ballooned uh, also dic- dictates you know what what the focus is on because the Warriors are super interesting and they can be your story like you said every almost every single day of the year. If you choose not to write the Warriors, I've all said to myself that's probably an incorrect decision. But uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll so see. what we used to always say about the 49ers, yes. right? I think it was Glenn Dickey who said the 49ers are my first story, my second most (laughs) important story, my third most important story. I mean, you know, back when the 49ers were a dominating dynasty um, with the most compelling players uh, and the most compelling owner, uh, they they were an everyday story. Um, Even I mean, they weren't, you know, like I said, there was there were a couple months you could take off. But um, but they dominated the landscape. Still do. They still do without not having won a Super Bowl in a long time. They still do. Uh, they have and- not won a Super Bowl in 28 years. My daughter is 28. <laughs> it's her fault. <laughs> she's what she's, she's doing? my measuring stick. <laughs> I'll throw this out quickly because people love when we just talk about this stuff. Any uh, of all the people you've covered, of all the people who've gone through the Bay Area or even outside the Bay Area, I won't say favorite person to cover, but is there somebody you love talking about or people ask you about and you love telling stories? Like who's the who's the figure? And I know there's an obvious one that I always bring up. It might be the same one for you. Uh, we attended many of his press conferences, uh, but you don't have to pick that guy. I mean, is, is there someone that you go, man, I am going to talk about this person for a long time and it's going to be great because this person was undeniably interesting. Um, well, I don't know if we'd be talking about the same one because I would say the one that I get asked about the most 
um, and that I will probably continue to be asked about for the rest of my life is Steph. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, and, and who, you know, if, if enjoying covering someone is falls in there too, because, you know, it's, it's fun to watch him play. He's kind of good at what he does, but you know, he's always a compelling, you know, what we want the most is someone who's, who's, uh, gives us information and and has an interesting perspective and stuff almost always does. That's the reason we wait for so long for him to finish getting dressed after a game, Um, which, you know, normally if he was boring, we wouldn't all be waiting. But um, and then you add in what what else he does, you know, the stuff he does off the court, the the kind of the connections he has getting the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar award, just just the the uh, his understanding of his his ability to affect change um, and the leverage that he has in his position. I just think he may, he's a very unique player. I can't think of anyone else. Um, you know, I, I, and for kind of similar reasons, mostly for his insight into things, I, I always enjoyed covering um, Steve Young, you know, because yeah. he was such a thoughtful um, analytical uh, person to interview um, could kind of see the big picture, you know, not just his own narrow thing. Um, I, were you talking about Barry? No, Al oh. Davis. Oh, Al Davis. Yeah, that's Al the was unique. Yeah. yeah, there will yeah. never be another one. Uh, I, I always say that's a person I tell the most stories about. Well, because you know I've got some pretty good ones. <laughs> you uh, have a few good ones. <laughs> uh, but I won't go Al Davis. I'll, I just, the one I think that I'll remember most is Harbaugh. I just like every day was something different with him. Every day, you're going to talk about just go right to 49. You just go right Harbaugh. Like there's something was going to come out of him that was unpredictable, that was interesting. It could be, I mean, it's often weird, could be hostile at times, but it was real. It was like, this is a continuous story. He's a personality that I just like, you know, I, you know, I got along with him. Sometimes I didn't get along with him. I think you got along with him. Sometimes you didn't get along with him, but you just kind of like he appreciated the everyday. He'd get mad about the everyday, but he wasn't going off doing Fox, you know, sit down interviews and ESPN and calling Peter King. He wasn't doing that. It was if you're there every day, you had this energy with him and writing it was fun as hell. It was volatile. Uh, but man, that guy, I just think is we talk about unique characters. You talk about people that I'm going to tell stories about, I just think it's hardball and, and, and affected things. And I don't know that anybody like that has been around, been since then. I don't know. There's going to be another one. Shanahan's pretty interesting. He's way up there. Yeah. For, like for the earthquake of his personality, I think it's, it's Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. You, I mean, I think you enjoyed him more than I did. I found him um, just a little, uh, I, I, I found him annoying. <laughs> it could um, be that. You uh, know, I didn't, I, I didn't find him quite as compelling. I just found him sometimes I thought he was kind of an idiot. Um, <laughs> I, you know, there's certain things he did. I, I didn't I didn't like, obviously, the way he treated my my uh, my young son, Alex. <laughs> Wait a like. minute. He, he brought him back. He wasn't even the way he treated. That was Mike Nolan who treated him. Uh, no, I mean. By the way, you see Alex ripping Mike Singletary a little while ago. Just oh, no. Reading oh, him. Oh, my God. Oh, I've got to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I like Kyle. I, I think Kyle is the most um, uh, for a guy. Boy, there are a lot of 49er fans who don't like Kyle. So weird to me. But I find him pretty honest for an NFL coach in this day and age. NFL coaches are not very honest. I think he tries to be honest with us. Um, 
I think, you know, he's a great coach. I think it's a, it's a weird and complicated uh, place over there. All NFL teams are, but um, yeah, um, I, I think we've been lucky, you know, obviously Steve Kerr uh, is fantastic yes, to deal yes. with. Um, talk about. I hate, that, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've been very lucky here in the Bay area with really big personalities People who are um, mavericks, groundbreakers, they, they affect change. Even when the teams are not great, they are. We have had a lot of interesting characters. So, I um, I count myself pretty lucky to have have covered a lot of them. All right, we've been going on longer than I ex- told you would be. So, just we has too good of a conversation, Andy. <laughs> we've got to end this with a version of the question I asked everybody. I think I've asked you this before, but I'll ask you again. I'm gonna. You said I could pick any category. There's been no pre-planning on this, but I know what I want you to answer. And Killian, what's your favorite book right now? My favorite book right now? Well, I've read um, a couple of really good ones. Um, I've read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which I would never have thought I would have liked. It's about gaming, gamers, game designers, um, which I am not a gamer at all. Yeah. But uh, it's there's parts of it that remind me a little bit of a little life, which I know you and I both you you read that. Try remember? No, I don't know if I read that one. You did, you okay. did, because I think you talked to Kerr about it. Okay. That was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then I just read a a good one that's it's actually has a podcasting element called um, "I Have a Few Questions for You" by Rebecca Mackay. So those are recently interesting ones. Um, in terms of my favorite book. Oh my God. Um, I love Kate Atkinson's Life After Life. Um, and I love Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan. I've heard about that one. Yeah, I think I've, I, I haven't read yeah, those, but it, I think I definitely heard about that one. So I, I got some books I got to read. I just, I'm just coming up short. I got like one book now to, to read and I need to order some more. So Katie, I've heard about that. So I might do that one. And I in terms re- of a restaurant, I'm going to give no, you go, a go, restaurant. Go, go. Pearl on California out in the Richmond. Okay. 6101 Pearl. Oh my God. It is a little gem. Uh, what kind of food? What kind of food? Uh, Italian. It's, uh, it's just a little neighborhood place. Fantastic cocktails. Just great food. Good service. Just, uh, yeah. It's, I, it's another I, one where you're hanging around with the owners and the chef and everything. I know you do that. You pal around with those <laughs> restaurateurs. No, I don't know them, but I'm very impressed with with them. And and it's uh, it's popular. It's hard to get a reservation there. So it's a little... Just a little spot that's um, really doing things the right way. Excellent. Great, great. As always, Annie, we could keep going on and on, but uh, you know, I'm going to ask you one question. You brought it up. I'm sorry. I'm going to. Why do you think some 49ers fans don't like Kyle? Like someone asked me that. I try to answer it. I don't know if I hit it. What do you pick up that this guy who's won a lot of games? I know I won a Super Bowl. Obviously, that's a point. That's Beyond it. that, yeah. <laughs> why probably 15 to 25% of the fan base does not like him? I think that they still hold on to that thing that he kind of arrived with was that he was Mike Shanahan's arrogant son. And that was definitely his billing when the 49ers hired him. And that was kind of you know, the way Daniel Snyder, his time there in Washington, he got that spun as being like a nepotism hire. And and obviously anyone who's seen his work since knows that that's, you know, that he's an incredibly talented coach and, you know, a great coach on in his own right. So I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's maybe that he's not, you know, 
I don't know, warm and fuzzy or whatever. Maybe it's that, you know, one of his protégés, Sean McVay, already won a Super Bowl and he hasn't. You know, it's the Tom Brady comeback. It's all those little things, I think. But I think anyone who who actually listens to the way he deals with us, to the things his players say about him, and, and the way he calls a game, I would think would be pretty impressed by him. So, the way he deals with Eric Branch too. It's got to be way up there. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little sideshow. Jim, Jimmy doesn't have Branch anymore, so now it's all, it's all on Kyle. My inside Kyle. pressers. <laughs> <laughs> I think Fort Niners fans pretty well know. I think they've anybody who's seen that pretty much know. All right, Annie, uh, okay, took you way Jimmy. over the time, but thank you so much. Great conversation as always. Might see you very soon. I might be going to a Giants game pretty soon. I'm not sure. But uh, it's so far a journey so for far me. Away for you. I don't know if I can make it. I got to find parking. <laughs> I don't know. It's all so far. Don't, don't, right. don't flaunt your parking in front of me. I got nothing to say. <laughs> You're the one who brought it up. All right, Annie, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Tim. That's the show for today. Hey, everybody.